Well, welcome everybody to Park Community Church. For those of you who don't know, my name is Rafe Chenry. I'm the pastor here at Park South Loop. It's always good to be with you. We are going to be in the book of Psalms today, Psalm 67. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles. The Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible. So if you're not sure where that is, open up to the middle and you'll find it. And then 67 is right after 66. <laughs> That's the easiest way to find it. Psalm 67, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Jimmy Lee in the green shirts walking around passing Bibles out. He'll get you one. Psalm 67. We just wrapped up a three-week series through the book of Philemon. How many of you guys enjoyed that series? Yeah? Man, I'll tell you what. I remember when we first started that series a few weeks ago, I was thinking, how am I going to squeeze three sermons out of this one-chapter book? Uh, but God in his kindness had a lot to teach me, and I think he had a lot to speak to all of us, and so I'm grateful we had a chance to go through that. Today is Global Sunday, and we're going to be studying God's heart for the nation. So before we dig in, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we pray every week, we now come before and sit underneath the authority of your word. We believe that your word instructs us, that it guides us, that it pierces through to our hearts and reveals inside of us areas where we are not in line with your will, areas where we are still yet to grow in our likeness of Christ. And God, we want to be changed today. We want to be those people who didn't just come to church and go out and do our business as if nothing happened, but we want to be those who actually encountered the living God because your word spoke to us. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would just powerfully work in this room. I pray for those even now that have an inkling inside their heart that just maybe they're called to be missionaries that they would receive the word of God and actually take steps of learning what it means to go to explore, to listen to the Spirit as He leads as we seek to bring the gospel to the nations. And for each of us, God, I pray, whether we're called here in Chicago or overseas, that we would learn what it means to live missionally wherever we are. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll never forget a moment that I experienced. This was years ago. It was between my junior and senior year of college. Some of you guys know I got the blessing of being able to live overseas as a missionary for a season. Right after college, I spent just a little over a year in, in Thailand outside of Bangkok. Uh, and between my junior and senior year, I was kind of exploring mission work. It was actually, I was in a church and they were having a global Sunday. My, uh, my sophomore, or no, my junior year of college, they were having a global Sunday. And, and the preacher was preaching about global about bringing the gospel to the nations. And I went into that service not thinking much about that, and I left that service thinking, maybe that's me. I don't know, but let me take a step. I had this time between my junior and senior year. I hadn't figured out what I was going to do yet for that summer, and so I signed up for a two-month, what they called a missionary internship. I got placed in Thailand. And I remember after I got off the plane, one of the first spiritual conversations I had with somebody I had never been to Thailand. Frankly, I didn't even know where Thailand was on a map before they asked me to go there. And so I get to Thailand, and, and Thailand was a pretty, you know, depending on where you go, it's a very diverse country in terms of the development. There's cities where it's highly developed, and then there's rural areas where there's less infrastructure. Where I was was in a more developed area working with college students. And I had a conversation in one of my first days with this young man, and halfway through the conversation I said, tell me, who do you think Jesus Christ is? He thought for a second, and I was expecting a lot of different answers from him, but I wasn't expecting what he said. College student. He said, I've heard that name. I, I think I heard he was an evil man. That shocked me. 
I could imagine that response when I hear of these missionary stories of people who, you know, you, you know they're, they're putting machetes on their, uh, their, their pants and they're going through the rainforest. I could imagine that response of someone coming across someone kind of really outside of society, it, it, normal society like we might expect. But I had no idea that that was what I was going to confront. His story, this young man's story, is not peculiar or strange. It might be hard to imagine for us as we sit in this room and we live in a very post-Christian culture, at least an increasingly post-Christian culture, we live in a society in which the infrastructure is largely built on Christian roots. Everywhere you look, you see remnants of Christianity and you see Christianity built into the very fabric of our society in many ways. You find churches on many of the street corners and most people, though increasingly so this is not true, but many people in our own culture have a concept of Jesus. They've heard something of the story, even if it's incorrect. Very few would say, I've never heard of the man. It's hard for us to imagine what it would be like to be in a society where that's just not the case. Every week at the end of our service, I give us the same benediction, don't I? Those of you who've been around for a while, you know the benediction I give. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. When we go out of here, I speak these words over you. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's Jesus. Go. That's the imperative. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I speak that to us every week because I believe that's deeply woven into the fabric of all of Scripture, and we need to be reminded of it every week because we tend to forget it. What does the word nations mean? Go make disciples of all nations. Sometimes we think of the term nations as the way we typically think of a geographic map. You got nations, you got France, you got Germany, you got America, you got Mexico, you've got nations. Actually, that's not the concept that Jesus had in mind when he said nations. He was talking about people groups. He was talking about people groups. Bring the gospel to all the people groups around the world. Within one nation, there may be many, many different people groups. In fact, can we get the slide up that has the definition of what a people group is? This is a helpful from Frontiers, a missions agency. For evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. That means within one given country, there may be many people groups, people that are living within the bounds of one national, national boundary and yet separated, maybe by religion, maybe by caste, depending on what country you're visiting, maybe by socioeconomic barriers or language barriers, people groups within a country. Let me show you a map of the known people groups within the, the globe today. This is a Best, based on missiology, the study of missions, this is a map of the known people groups. You can see even with our own country, there are many people groups. The red dots represent people groups around the globe that are unreached. People groups around the globe that are unreached. This is important terminology. Every faithful follower of Jesus needs to know this language. Unreached people groups. It's people groups around the globe. A people group can have 10, 60 million people within it. It can also have 10, 15,000 people on it, depending on the type of people group or where it is. And an unreached people group is a people group that has limited to no access to the gospel. 
They don't have one, or maybe they only have one or two Christians within the entire people group, certainly not enough for those within the people group to learn about Jesus. One thing you'll notice about this map, and go to the next one, is that most of the red dots are located within this box. Within the world of missions, we call that the 1040 window. Good vocabulary for everyone in this room to know. The 1040 window. 1040, because it's the latitudes, the bottom and top latitudes of that geographic place on the map, 10 degrees and 40 degrees, you'll notice it spreads across northern Africa, throughout the Middle East, across India, and then throughout South Asia and Southeast Asia. There in that 1040 window are the largest amount of unreached people groups in the world. There's hostility towards Christianity within the 1040 window. It's difficult for the gospel to get in within the 1040 window is the least amount of infrastructure for the internet. Over 50% of the people living in with the 1040 window, they don't have access to the internet much like we have. And so some of the things we even take for granted that you could just Google Jesus and learn at least what Wikipedia has to say about him, not the case. It's not that easy. Within the 1040 window, 97% of the world's unreached people groups are in the 1040 window. 97% of the unreached people groups. 5,943 of these people groups are considered unreached with a population 3.06 billion with a B. 3.06 billion. This is according to... Joshua Project. This means approximately 61% of the individuals in the 1040 window live in an unreached people group. 81% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists do not know a Christian. Make sure that sinks in. 81% of all Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus do not know a Christian. What is your role in mission? What is your role in bringing the gospel to the nations? And don't be egging the person next to you. I'm asking you. What is your role in bringing the gospel to the nations? Each of us sit underneath the great commandment, the great commission by Jesus Christ to go make disciples of all nations. And I'm asking you, as you listen to that, be spoken over you every week, and as you read your scripture, what is your role? Does your heart beat for missions the way God's heart beats for missions? There is no such thing as a non-global Christian. There just isn't. That's not a thing. That, that, that's not a possible. There's not, no such thing as a non-global Christian. We're going to be in Psalm 67. And what I want to show you out of Psalm 67 to begin is first and foremost this. The Bible does not just make a case for missions. We don't just pull verses and try to build a case that there's a biblical basis for missions. There is rather a missional basis to the entire Bible. The infrastructure, the entire development of the Bible from ground up, the message of God's relationship with his people and what he's called us to is built on top of a foundation of God's love for his people and his missional nature. Let's jump into Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Now, if you know your Bible, you might recognize that first verse. May God, the Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. He's pulling that right out of the Aaronic blessing, out of the Old Testament. 
We see that same verse, that same blessing that the high priest Aaron spoke over the people of God in the Old Testament. We see God's people regularly calling that upon themselves. It's this image of being blessed by God. Make sure we never confuse what blessings are. Blessings are not what typically we talk about when something, you know, some kind of material good comes in our way or some kind of wealth or prosperity comes. We say, man, I really received a blessing here. No, when God talks about his blessings, he kind of highlights what it is there. It's this image of God's warmth and glow and love being wrapped around you. We are blessed when we receive the love of God through Jesus Christ and we experience his compassion, his mercy, his grace in our life. That is what blessing is. And God is not content with just, just, just experiencing a bit of his blessing. He wants to pour that blessing in your life, infuse that blessing of his love towards you into the fabric of your very identity. But look at what verse 2 says. May God be gracious to you, bless you, make his face shine upon you. So that, why do we get this blessing? Why does God pour his love among us? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. We are given God's warm glow. We are given God's compassion, given God's grace, his mercy, all the blessings that are poured into us that we preach on every week that heaven has been poured into your life so that the nations might know about our great King and God. So that it might not just stop here, but then flow through us, not just to anybody, but to the nations. How easy is it for us to forget this? How busy do we get with our days that we forget get God's heart for the nations? We begin to blend in with everyone around us, thinking we're just blessed in order to keep it to ourselves and live a safe, comfortable life. Not the gospel. Not the gospel. Jesus has way bigger plans for us, and his plans involve the nations. Where does this concept come from? It goes right back to the beginning and the formation of God's people. If we trace this line, this big idea of Psalm 67, that we're blessed in order to bless others, we trace that back to Genesis chapter 12. It was in Genesis chapter 12 that God called Abraham the father of his people, the father of all of God's people. And in Genesis chapter 12, right in those opening verses, God calls this man Abraham, who would be our forefather, our, the, the forefather of all the people of God. And he says this, Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Hear that. I will bless you so that, there it is again, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why did God pick Abraham out? What was his purpose? What was the so that in all of this? He chose one family, the people of God, that you and I as Gentiles have been grafted into in order that the nations might know the love of God. That was his plan all along, to bless Abraham, to bless God's people in order that the nations might experience that blessing. One passage that's been so near and dear to me recently is Deuteronomy chapter 4. I've been fascinated by this passage. This is not just a theme we see in Genesis 12 with Abraham. This flows all the way through God's people throughout the Old Testament and continuing into the New Testament. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 4, after the people of God receive God's commands, his statutes, his laws, the Mosaic law, God says, this is how you ought to live. Live this way. It will distinguish you from all the people groups in the world. You'll look different from them. And then Deuteronomy chapter 4, he says this, keep the laws and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, the nations, who when they hear of all these statutes, they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So, so get this, you, do you want to know why God has such a high code of ethics for your life? Do you want to know why God says don't live with your fiance before marriage? You want to know why he says, don't get drunk like the nations. You want to know why he's given you all these commands and this high level of morality. It's not just so that you can have your life in order. (laughs) That's part of it. He wants you to flourish, yes, and that's what the good life is, is when you commit your life to God and he has total say and his laws dictate your life. That's not the primary purpose, though. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 4, it's so that when the nations look in on your life, they will say, surely this person has great understanding and wisdom, and surely they serve a great God. It's so that your life will look different among the nations, so that you will be a fragrant aroma in the presence of all the nations, because as they're struggling to figure out how do I do life, there's got to be a Christian among them living by God's commands over their life. So they look in on him, they compare to their own life, and they say, whatever he's got I need. That's compelling. That's why God gave the law. This idea that we're blessed in order to be a blessing flows all the way through the fabric of God's people. We cannot separate mission from worship. We can't come in here every week and just pretend like we're going through the motions of Christianity and not have some kind of heart developing for the nations. If that's the case, we're we're hypocrites. We're we're missing who who God is. And he goes through this, Psalm 67. Let's read the rest of this. After the Aaronic blessing and reminding us of Genesis 12, he says... Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the ends of the earth fear him. Do you sing that way? This is a song. This is a a poet, a a songwriter, sitting down and reflecting his heart, what his heart beats for, Psalm 67. If you were to sit down and, you know, maybe you've never written a poem before, but if you really were serious about it and wanted to write a poem, what would come out of your heart? Is it the nations? How many poems would you have to write before you got to the nations? This is just coming out of him because he knows God. He he worships this God who is missional in nature. And notice in Psalm 67, there's four things he wants to be true of the nations. First, verse 2, he has a desire for God to be known among the nations. He wants the knowledge of God to spread to every single nation and people group. He wants them to have the knowledge that there is a God who knows them. There is a God who died on the cross for them. There is a God who has sacrificed his son so that they might have life in the full. He wants that knowledge to go everywhere. He does not desire for young men in Thailand to say, 
huh, I've heard that name. I heard he was an evil man. The psalmist wants the knowledge of God to spread to the nations. Number two, he has a desire for God to be praised. That's verse three. Let the peoples praise you. He's not just content with them having intellectual knowledge. He wants that knowledge to actually sink into their heart and develop into a life of praise where they're celebrating the God of the gospel. He wants the nations to know Jesus Christ and not to worship false idols that can't give life. Allah cannot give life. Buddha's not able to give life. Jesus gives life. And he wants the gospel to go to the nations so that those who are worshiping false idols can turn to the one living God and find life in the full. He wants them to praise him. Verse 4, he has a desire for God to be enjoyed. You get that? Oh, I love that. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 4. You know, part of the the nature of being a follower of Christ is that it's joy-filled. We get to live in the reality of a God who loves us, who never leaves us nor forsakes us, and has given us the full and meaningful life. And he wants the nations to enjoy Jesus. He wants them to come into this saving relationship where Jesus is not just a begrudging taskmaster like the other gods of the nations, but, but he's a God to enjoy on a sunny afternoon to walk with, to, to wake up and pray. I did a prayer walk this morning through UIC, just enjoying God. He wants the nations to enjoy the reality of God. Number four, he has a desire for God to be feared. Verse seven, don't miss that. If you've got no fear of God, you haven't read scripture yet. God is a God to have a, a high view of. Scripture says the foundation of his throne is justice. And this is a God who sits over all justice. He is sovereign over all of creation. He will judge. He will ultimately have his final judgment day. There is a healthy respect and fear. When the prophet Isaiah even had a glimpse of the throne room of God, he fell on his face. He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, I don't deserve to be even in your presence. He wants the nations to know the true God. The true God that is over all creation, that is to be feared and yet not stop there because Jesus has called us friend. He's invited us into his very presence. And so we don't just have to stay in fear. We have a healthy respect for the God that is a trinity, but he has called us near and called us friend. This psalmist has a full picture of God and his heart for the nations. He's not content for the nations to live in idolatry. Park Community Church has a vision And we started this vision a handful of years ago to send 100 global workers. We use that term global workers because frankly with some of the work we're doing around the nations, using the term missionary is dangerous and can get people hurt or worse. We use the term worker, global workers to be sent around the globe to unreached people groups. Particularly, Park has a vision to reach the 1040 window. We actually believe part of our vision is particularly to work among Muslim people groups within the 1040 window window. Many of our missionaries are full-time workers that we've sent off, and many of the short-term teams that we send are specifically to unreached people groups within the 1040 window. And we've got this incredible team of folks who come around, people like you, who are questioning, has God called me into this? What's my role in this? What do I do? It's called a mobilization team. I see Alana sitting over here right now. Alana, can you just raise your hand real quick? Amazing woman of God right here. Get to know her. She's on the mobilization team. And she's equipping people to wrestle through what's my role in this thing called the Great Commission. Now, I want to be clear here. 
I want to draw a distinction, a healthy distinction for us between two vocabulary words. And it's important for us to to separate this, to, to draw and understand God's heart for us. The two vocabulary words are missional and missionary. Now, now there's been a lot of literature written on this, but I think for our purposes, this is a very important distinguishment to make. Every follower of Christ is called to live missionally. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We've been blessed to be a blessing. Every person, whether, wherever you live, is called to live missionally or as a missionary, if you will, but missionally, wherever you are. And every week, we try to teach you and equip you. What does that mean here in Chicago for those of you that are called here? How do you disciple your children? How do you, how do you live missionally in your household so that your children grow up to know Jesus? How do you live missionary, missionally in your workplace so that you're compelling, you're living out the laws of God with a fragrant aroma, taking opportunities to speak about Jesus with your coworkers, praying over them, praying for them? How do you get involved in the city, get involved in politics, be involved as a Christian so that your Christian influence will impact people for the kingdom? Every follower of Christ is called to live missionally. And some are called to pick up from where they live, move to an entirely new culture, learn a new language, work among an unreached people group, and be missionaries. Now I'm careful with that because I know some missionaries are called here to Chicago as well. We have a number of missionaries who are full-time workers here in the city. But I also want to make sure we understand when we talk about sending people to the nations, there is a difference I want to draw between every follower of Christ's responsibility to live missionally here and having a hand of God placed on someone and calling them and saying, we call you to full-time mission work there. We see what you're doing and we want to equip you, come around you, and send you to be a missionary overseas. Now, Many of you are in many different places in your walk with the Lord. And if you're in this room today, you're hearing me talk about sending missionaries overseas to unreached people groups, and you're saying, for somebody else, not me. I'm like, not even close to that. I don't even know what that looks like. But you're also hearing me say there's no such thing as a non-global Christian, right? So now what that means is, what do you do? If you're not ready to pick up, pack a suitcase, and move, then, then what do you do here to, to learn how to be global? What, what's an action step you might take? Let me give you five. These are very relevant, very important for you. Number one, welcome people. Welcome people. This is the first step you can do. Welcoming people, we give you opportunities all the time. The nations, frankly, live at our doorstep. We're in the south loop of Chicago. You want the nations? You want to make an impact for people who are from the nations living around you? Your neighbors are here. Get to know your Muslim neighbors. Get to know your Hindu neighbors. Get to know your Buddhist neighbors because here's what you do. As you're compellingly living among them for Christ, you might be the first person that's ever told them about Jesus. You can win the nations right here and we try to give you opportunities throughout the year to host international students, to invite your neighbors over for Easter, for Christmas, for Thanksgiving. We give you plenty of opportunities but don't wait for us. If you don't know anyone from the nations, expand your horizons a bit. Go to a restaurant you don't normally get to go to and meet the owner. Get to know them. Love on them. Welcome people into your home. Your dinner table is the best place for conversion. You want to know that? You want to see people come to know Jesus? It's your dinner table. That's where it all, comes, that's where it all happens. Number two, send others. Our goers, the people who are going overseas, they all raise up advocacy teams. People who are financially supporting them as well as praying over them regularly. Join an advocacy team. Today you're going to hear from Mike Skiringa, who's going to come up here and tell you about what he's doing, what God's got planned in his life in terms of global missions work. Be on his advocacy team. 
You want to pray powerfully over reaching the nations? The most powerful thing you can do to unlock the the gospel commandment to go to all the nations is to start praying. When we start praying, and Park, we've barely started. I'm telling you, God's got some work for us to do. When we start praying powerfully over the the nations, we go. People's hearts change and there's power in the people we send off. Join an advocacy team. If you don't know anyone who's going, get to know me a little bit. We got plenty. We got about 40 people in the pipeline across Park Community Church right now. People who are training, learning, preparing to go overseas. Plenty of advocacy teams to join. No shortage there. Number three, mobilize people. Mobilize. You know what this looks like? Be a learner. There's a slide with uh, three book covers. Here's three books you could read. You want to you take an actual action step today? Don't wait for me to form a small group to go through these books. Get about seven or eight people and go through one of these books together. In the Land of Blue Burkas, that'll change your life. I pray differently because I read that book. Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, that's a classic. The entire, Christ, the entire movement of reaching the Chinese people with the gospel was largely built on Hudson Taylor's work as well as a handful of others. But he brought the gospel to China. And what he learned in that missionary work he did, that'll change you as you think about this. The Insanity of God. Man, oh man, that's also a DVD. You know what someone should do? Don't wait for me, please. Someone schedule a DVD viewing in this church to watch the insanity of God. Bring everybody with you. You want to break down and start crying over God's heart for the nations and what's happening? Watch the insanity of God. Mobilize people by bringing people around you and be a learner together. Read a book. Learn about God's heart for the nations together. Mobilize yourself and others. Number four, or number five, go. Go, go on a short-term trip we got plenty of them coming up. And, and you know, there's no excuse. If you have children, I'll never forget, my wife and I were on a plane one time coming home from a vacation. And there was a couple sitting next to us. I got my Bible out. I was reading my Bible on the plane. The guy tapped me on the shoulder. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yeah, I am a Christian. He said, oh, so are we. We're just coming home from a mission trip. And I felt bad and guilty because I was just coming home from a great vacation. <laughs> and, and he goes, I, I, and he had all his kids with him, little kids, like my size kids. I got two three-year-olds and a five-year-old. They were my size kids. And he was coming home from working on an orphanage in, uh, in Central America somewhere. And I said, you bring your kids with you? He said, oh, it's the best way to disciple them. Bring them to the nations. Is it dangerous? Yeah. That's the gospel. It's dangerous. But don't you want to form that in your kids? They're not going to miss Disney World, I promise you. You know what he said to me? He said, they look forward to this far more than trips to Disney World. We tried to schedule a trip to Disney World, and they said, well, when are we going to go back to the orphanage? Man, let's form that in our kids. Your kids aren't too young to start forming this in them, Park. They're not. And you're not too old to start forming this in you. Go on a trip. Get a picture for what God's doing. Go meet Bill Gay. I had Bill Gay here just a handful of months ago. He's our church planter in Istanbul. Go there. Go support him, pray with him, meet the people that are coming to know Jesus in Turkey. It's incredible, and it'll change your heart. You're not too young, you're not too old, you got the gospel, and you've got everything you need around you. You've got a church that's got trips coming out every month. Go on a trip. Your heart will change. Now can I ask you, what stops you from doing this? We've got everything we need, right? I mean, it's the the missional basis of the Bible is right here. My athletic skills coming out there. Right? It's all here. Number one, two reasons why we don't do this. First one's this. We're just not that interested in it. It seems like a tack-on to the gospel. What we really want to do is just live out 
moralistic Christian lives, be comfy, cozy, get by with our life, and then the, the missions work just seems like it's this extra, and really we're not that interested in it. But here's the problem. The God of the Bible is a missionary, right? What did Jesus do? Philippians chapter, chapter 1 and 2 tells us he condescended out of heaven where he was in one culture, right? And he, he entered into our culture. He incarnated himself among us. He took on our sins. He, he, he took a, I don't want to say he took a risk. He didn't take any risk. But he took on pain upon himself in order to reach us with the love of God. He died on a cross that you might have life in full. See, he is the great missionary. He is the quintessential missionary entering into another culture, living among another people group that were not in his culture where he was from in heaven, living among them and giving his life so that they might know the love of God. You've received that blessing. He's the great missionary. And you say, I'm just not that interested in missions? Look, that's like, you guys know who this is? Put that picture up of the Chicago guy. There you go. Who's that? Who is that? It's Michael Jordan. Sorry, it's a little bit of a blurry picture. You guys know who that is. That's Jordan. That would be like saying, man, I love Jordan. Jordan's my guy. He's amazing. I can't stand basketball. I'm not that interested in basketball. Never seen one of his great plays. You know, never seen the jump shots he made, the game winners. How many rings did he get? Did he win the championship? I love Jordan. Man, I'm the biggest Jordan fan. You can't say that. It would be completely dichotomous to say you love Jordan and aren't interested in his game-winning shots and all the things he did in the sport. Let me show you some of God's highlight reels. Go to the next one. These are the game winners. Jesus is winning around the globe right now. Iranians, Muslims putting their faith in Jesus by the hundreds. Did you know that's happening? It's his game-winning shot. He's doing it every day. This is what's happening in the nations. We don't know it. We've got this like locked in vision for our life where we're just going about our business. Go to work, come home, go to work, come home, go to work, come home. No time for mission. All the while this is taking place. You want to put some energy in your life? You want to know what Jesus is doing? Get on the mission field. Go see it with your own eyes. There's nothing like seeing someone in an unreached people group put their faith in Jesus and then getting to see him baptized. Nothing. Nothing. Go, go. Reason number two, we don't think we have anything to offer. If reason number one is we're not that interested, we can read the Bible and grow an interest. Reason number two is we don't think we have anything to offer. And to that I say phony baloney. That is not true. You have everything to offer. God has given you every spiritual gift. And one of the great problems in the Western church is that we have relied so much on the pastor. This is a, I'm a, not speaking prophetically over myself here. Historically, you want to know when the church has thrived and flourished, like exponentially grown? It's when they locked up or killed all the professional pastors. First through third century, all the pros, you know, Peter, Paul, Timothy, all the guys who were trained in how to do it, they locked them all up and threw away the key. And the church just like, Boom! Took over the entire Roman Empire. Destroyed the Roman pantheon of gods. Throughout China today, all, most of the Chinese leaders locked up. You, just read, you keep reading the stories, right? More, more and more pastors going to prison. And you know why that is? Because sometimes when you get a guy like me in front of you, what happens is you can depend on me and you think I'm the guy who's got to be doing it all. Someone's thinking about missions. It's the pastor. But then when I get out of the way... 
then, then you suddenly realize, no, 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 no. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the primary mission I've been given, an assignment I've been given by God. I equip you for you to do the work of the ministry. This is the body of Christ. You have all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts. You have all the gifts. All the things that are needed to bring the gospel to the nations, you carry around with you right now. You say, I'm in marketing. What could I do in marketing overseas? I'll tell you what you can do. Get a job overseas. Bill Gay is begging for professionals to come help him plant his church in Turkey, to work in Istanbul with a real company. Bring your marketing gifts there. Go bless a company. Be a strong worker. Earn a salary in Istanbul. Be a part of a church plant and be a compelling witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the workplace where people are going to work every day and no one's ever told them about Jesus. You're a marketer? No excuse. They need you. Bill Gay's called you. You say, I'm a creative. I play guitar. I sing. I, what could I do? You want to know what one of the best ways to win people to Jesus is? Through the arts. The artistic community. Bring the arts. Get involved in a local community overseas among an unreached people group. Get to know their art forms. Bring your art forms. Share life. Share love. Share the gospel. You say, I'm too old. Jackson and Donna Crum are in their mid to late 60s, our senior pastor, Jackson Crum. He's got grandkids here in the States. You want to talk about pain and what you're leaving behind? Him leaving his grandkids, I know that man well. That's one of the most painful things in his life. He's a general in, in this city. You know that? Jackson Crum, he's one of the big dogs in the city of Chicago who God's using to reach people. He's getting up now and moving overseas to Istanbul, to Turkey. You're not too old. You're never too old. You say, I have FOMO. <laughs> Fear of missing out. If I go overseas, all this stuff's going to happen back here and I'm going to miss out on it. That was mine. That was what I was afraid of. And I'm graduating from college and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to miss all this fun stuff that's happening. You know what happened? I didn't miss anything and they missed out on all the glorious stuff that was happening overseas. I'll tell you, you're not missing anything. All the great stuff. All the things that God's going to use to inspire the gospel in you, to build up the gospel in you, to fuel you for a life of missions, get overseas and see it. Be a part of it. There's nothing to miss out on. Ralph Winter has aptly said this, the task of identifying, penetrating the remaining unreached people groups, the great challenge of discipling all nations still lies before us. The mission is not done. But we are told in the Bible that Jesus will be worshipped by, quote, a great, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. We are within range today of penetrating every people group on the planet. We're within range. We can see it with the light of the gospel, with more momentum than ever before in history. Be a part of it. Be a part of it, church. Find a place of historic significance in declaring his glory among the nations.